Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. It's Lainey from the library team. We are so excited to have you. I hope everyone's doing well. I know the world's a little crazy, so we're very excited that you're tuning in to escape for a little while. And today we have an author on the podcast. We are so excited to have her. Her name is Emily Gray Tedrow, and her book, The Talented Miss Farwell, comes um, on September 29th. And we couldn't be more happy to have her on. Hi, Emily. Hi, so good to be here. Yes, and today we have a super special podcast recording because not only do we get to hear about a really cool book that you're all going to love and go out right after and download an e-galley to read, but today Emily is going to be interviewed by, guess who? Her father, who is Alan Gray, and he is the director of the Darien Library and a library we all at Library Love Fest love so much, and they've been so good to us, and so we are just ecstatic that he's here. Hi, Alan. Hi, Lainey. How are you? And thanks to the library uh, team to let us do this. This is really going to be fun. Oh, it's going to be such a cool conversation yeah. because it's so unique. We, Like I said, we get to hear about a great book, which is what we always love on the podcast, but to hear from a library director, but also the father and daughter relationship and I'm going to stop talking because you guys have so much that you want to cover, but I just want to say thank you both for he being here, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say. So I will let Alan take it over. Great, Lainey. Thanks. Um, so, Emily, first, I'm your dad, so I air quotes, I'm going to have to love your book. But I just want to tell you that I was really entranced when I read it. You captured me, and you kept me going um, much more than anyone would think when you just read a book because it's someone in your family. This is a really, really wonderful novel. So thank you for putting it together. And thank you for giving me a chance to talk to you about. It. I guess the first thing is, what about a quick summary of the book for the people who haven't had a chance to read it as you and I have? Well, first of all, Dad, you're breaking the first rule, which is don't make me get teary on a podcast. And that is so nice to hear your thoughts. Um, yep. And I'm so glad you liked it. And this is really cool to be talking to you. I mean, as I'm sure we'll talk about, my whole love of reading and libraries comes from you and mom. And it's just pretty cool that, you know, we're connected in this way. So um, I'm really glad to be here. And yeah, so this novel, um, The Talented Miss Farwell, this is my third novel. And it tells a story about a woman in a small Illinois town. She works in the city government there, very small town, but she lives a double life. And she becomes obsessed with high-end contemporary art 
and she begins to um, embezzle money from her tiny town in order to fund what turns out to be a pretty substantial art collection. So the entire time she does this, she's kind of living this double life on the one hand, she's kind of by day this very sort of, um, you know, good citizen and loves her neighbors and, and has lived in this town her entire life. But on the other hand, she's becoming a pretty big player in the international art world. And um, I guess you could say it's a novel about a con artist, which uh, was really fun for me to write. So I'm going to ask you in a little while about research, because I sadly, for everyone out there, know enough about you to know that some of the areas you got into, uh, we couldn't say are your strengths, like math, for example. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but first, what interested you about this subject and what got you here? Because it's, it's somewhat different from the stuff that you've read, written before. Yes. And I was surprised by how much fun I had writing sort of what I guess you could think of it on the one hand as a crime novel. On the other hand, it's a lot about relationships and that I've done before. But here I really, as you say, go big into numbers and money and um, stuff that I am not known to be so <laughs> good about. But um, the novel actually had its origins in a true story. So as those of us in the Chicago area know, um, there's a woman named Rita Crundwell who um, was arrested for embezzling, I think, $50 million from her small Illinois town. Um, she's currently in, in prison and um, she spent it all on the horse breeding industry. So that kind of became national news, um, but around here it was pretty big news. And I was fascinated by this story, but I also stopped reading about it because I think maybe as some readers and writers know, you know, when you get the idea for something, you really want to go into your own imagination and make up a story as opposed to staying close to the facts. So I would say that I was inspired by the Crundwell story, but that I really created my own character and world. For example, there's no horses in this novel because I do not know from horses. Um, so I um, I just had a lot of fun kind of creating my version of a con artist uh, who really kind of uh, takes things to the extreme. Well, yeah, Rebecca Farwell is a far place from someone who does do horse breeding and things like that. But let's talk about what you had to learn when you did this, yeah. um, because, you know, some of the I remember early on you were asked you asked me a, a couple of questions about municipal finance and embezzlement. And I right. thought, oh, dear Lord, let it be that she is actually researching a book, you know, um, <laughs> because, you know, municipal finance and things like that aren't your strengths. Right. So what are the parts that you had to research that were fun? And what are the parts that you had to research that were kind of heavy lifting? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the parts that were fun for me had to do with the character's obsession with um, buying art. I am, I, I love visual art. I like to go to galleries and museums. I do not own any serious art, but I've always loved to pretend or imagine what it would be like to have the funds to mm -hmm. just see something on the wall and be able to own it. 
Um, and I gave all of that to Becky. So that was the fun part for me was digging into kind of the habits of collectors, what you need, how you score a big deal, what it's like to flip a painting. Um, that was wonderful to dive into. But yes, I would not say that small town government finance is a strength of mine. And I would not say that numbers are a strength of mine, as you know, from having helped me with math homework for many years. Um, I definitely relied on you and several other uh, friends and people in my life to help me understand how a small town makes money and how someone could get away with embezzling that much um, for that many years without anyone noticing. So that was tricky to figure out. I'm sure you got a little worried when I was asking you about check kiting and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> but it, in a way, that was also really fun to uh, figure out too, because I gave Becky this characteristic that I definitely don't have, which is that she has this innate math ability, right? She's able to see mm -hmm. a string of numbers, compute them in her head. Um, numbers is one of the ways she sees the world. Um, and that is definitely not the way I see the world, but, but being able to kind of flip it in my mind to think, what would it be like to, to live like that, to see everything in terms of prices and, um, whether, you know, what's in your bank account at the time, um, and be able to calculate that all in an instant. That was kind of fun to imagine, even though it was harder for me. Yeah, you definitely had to imagine it because here's a story about Emily when she was in elementary school and I was helping her with math. It was one of those oh math problems where uh, a guy gets in a car to drive from New York to Boston and you know how far it is. And the first hour he drives at 60 miles an hour. And then the question was, um, with the remaining mileage, how fast did he have to drive in order to get there in in like two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. So I'm waiting there expectantly saying, this is going to be fun. And Emily looks at the president at the, the, the question and then looks at me and said, dad, why does he want to drive to Boston? And <laughs> I, I guess if oh, I had boy. this flash to say, oh my God, this isn't a mathematician. This is a novelist. She wants to know the story behind anything. But I probably just shook my head and said, oh, no. So but anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you were able to figure out the math and stuff like it. Obviously, it would have been much more fun to um, to work on the art and things like that. And probably the places to go to have drinks. I don't know. Um, a lot of drinking takes place in this with people together and stuff like that. So I don't know if those are places that you researched or not. But you called her uh, Rebecca once and then. Becky, another time, what do you call her now uh, that you finished it as opposed to what you were calling her at the beginning of the of the novel? Yeah, so the character's name is Rebecca Farwell. And in town where she's uh, grown up and been known since she was a little girl, she's always been known as Becky. But uh, through a sort of a slip of the tongue in the art world, she's known as Reba Farwell. And I kind of liked giving her those different names so that she sort of had these two different personas um, with one foot in small town, rural um, Illinois, and the other foot in sort of like Milan and New York and, and other major art hubs. Um, but in my mind, I would say she's, she's Becky Farwell. And I also mm -hmm. love that the title that we um, came up with includes her full name because um, for some reason that just kind of rolls off my tongue and I really love having her full name in the title. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I just wonder, and this is more a question about writing, because everyone knows that that's not something that I'm likely to do. Um, is she now the same person when you finished the novel as when you thought about her when you when you began, or did she evolve over time? Wow, that is a good question. I'm not sure I've thought of that, but I think that, um, okay, so this is the first novel I've ever written that takes place over a long period of time. I think I follow her story for 20 years. And that was a question that I think I held in my mind as I was writing is, what is her um, journey, her her crime, her her commitment to this town? How is that going to shape her? And I do think it changes her. Um, I do think it makes her aware of some things that maybe she didn't, uh, you know, believe in that much at the beginning. There are relationships that she built both in her hometown and through the art world that um, come to be really important to her. And of course, are pretty fraught, pretty jeopardized by the fact that she's, you know, committing this long, long game uh, con. So yeah, I would say there's change there for me when I see her arc. Yeah. Now, you and I have talked a little bit about how we view her. Why don't you say first how, how you view her, and then I'll tell you how I think I view her, because we might be slightly different on this. Yeah, I, I would love to hear how you view her. Yeah. I mean, to me, one of the biggest sort of challenges of writing this book, and also why I love it, is, um, you know, I'm writing about someone that in the novel, I try to inhabit pretty thoroughly in terms of her um, her thinking, her emotions, her beliefs, her moment-to-moment -moment experience. And also she's a criminal um, and becomes a criminal. And, you know, that's not someone that, you know, most of us know very closely. And it is a challenge to maintain a ton of perspective and empathy. Um, a lot of times I think to myself, you know, Am I, or I would think to myself when writing, am I, am I too close to her? Is, um, am I giving the sort of real world perspective, um, the harm she's causing? It was a real balance. But I would say for me, Becky is like a deeply flawed person who also has some true and good qualities in her. You know? Yeah. I'd, I'd guess that I'm on the other side of that. I think you as I interpret what you're saying, she was driven by this obsession into doing something uh, for the purpose of doing it. And I really see her as pulled into doing that uh, because she's this flawed person who can't escape the obsession rather than someone who wants to keep revisiting it. It's um, yes. you, you have the you have the thing. Uh, in, in there about the New York article about someone scratching um, right down through the bone. And, yeah. uh, and, and I think that I saw her as probably a more, I won't say attractive character, but someone who was uh, really just, just not driven to do something, but pulled into it uh, and, and really just someone who couldn't get away from it and had to do the things she did rather than doing the things that she did for the purposes that she wanted to. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you said that because I do also see her obsession with art, her deep love with art as something that was sort of just kind of given to her without her choice. You know, I think she's burdened in a lot of ways um, by how much she cares about this. Um, at one point, I think I describe her as, you know, 
not knowing or, or just kind of like painfully not knowing what it's like to be content with just one life. She, mm-hmm. she just can't understand how people can maybe go through this life without also kind of having this big secret. And um, to me, that was kind of like her gift, but also her, you know, her major burden in life and something that, you know, is, uh, is sort of like her cross to bear. Yeah. I thought you did a really great job of showing us how this gift that, as you call it, that she had when she uh, bought an early painting um, just because it struck her as being something. And it turned out that it was being was something as opposed to later where you're talking about her getting into this obscure niche of art collecting completism is that I think what you called it and yes. uh, which which is something different as as you're saying from just having a gift but then I'll get back to my perspective of someone being drawn into a place where she can't get out um, that you're forced right. to do some things and uh, and certainly that is where she ended up no question about it yeah, I mean, I, I like to also think about the journey of her sort of like uh, life as an art collector and what that might mean. What are the different stages one goes through? Um, you know, sort of the way someone might go through stages of any sort of long term, you know, hobby or, or passion in life. You know, when you when you're initiated into it as a newcomer, um, when you become sort of like a mature student of something, and then later on, you know, towards towards the end of her arc, you know, what is it like for her to have, have sort of had all the experiences one can have as an art collector to have owned all the big pieces? You know, where, where does that leave you emotionally? Are you, can you come to an end of an obsession? Can you come to an end of, you know, something that you're passionate about? That's, that's kind of a scary question for me and, um, and something I wanted to play around with. Yeah, I think that's a pretty big question in any other issue. Um, I just was, while you were talking, I had a thought back to your childhood in a library and the Uh difference between why someone does something. Uh, Is it the process or is it the reward? And I'm thinking back in Bronxville uh, when they would have the summer reading. And as I remember, uh, you had to read X number of books and then you got a (laughs) gift certificate for an ice cream cone. And I suspect that people went home, uh, some kids went home and took some books home and kind of looked through them. And then, oh, great, it was an ice cream cone. That was the purpose. As I remember it, you would go into the library, as you did about any day, and sit down and pull books off of the shelves in the children's library there and read them anyway. And then, <laughs> and, and then oh, good. Hey, not only do I get to read books but I get to get an ice cream cone. So, I mean, there, there you are, um, you know, not looking for the ice cream cone, not looking for the art, but just driven by what you loved about reading. And, you know, that's a big leap towards someone who is driven to pick up, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of paintings and steal money. But I always thought you were reading just because you loved the reading um, rather than for the ice cream cone. I don't know whether that's how you would remember it or not. uh, I definitely think that reading was my ice cream cone, although I'm sure I wouldn't have said no to an actual ice cream cone. I mean, why not read and get the ice cream cone? But yeah, I mean, I... I remember so many of my early library experiences, like the one you're talking about, our town public library, 
But I wonder if you remember an early formative library experience for me. So here's the story I'm going to tell about you, Dad. Um, I don't know if you remember, but we had school library, say, once a week. And I was pretty young. Maybe I was eight, nine, something like that. And we went to our school library period. And then, you know, after the uh, librarian read read us a book, we were able to browse, choose a book and check it out. And I stood in line for a long time to check out my book. And the one I had chosen was Gulliver's Travels, the unabridged uh, edition of that. And I remember I chose it because I had a kid's book that was sort of like, you know, mostly a picture book about Gulliver's Mm -hmm. Travels. And when I saw the real thing, I picked it up, interested and wanted to check it out. Of course, it was too old for me. But um, I stood in line. And when I got to the front, the librarian said, um, oh, no, you know, you, this book's too old for you, too hard for you. you. You can't check it out. I'm sorry. And she took it away from me. And then I was pretty disappointed because the time for browsing was over and I hadn't gotten to check out a book. So uh, I came home that night and at family dinner, you know, we're there, mom, dad, me, I guess Lori, Jossie was around. And uh, I told this story and I don't, I didn't make too much of it. And I remember you guys, you know, saying, well, that's, that's too bad. And then the next day at school, I was, I was walking in a line in school and I remember my friends were like, Emily, your dad's here. Your dad's here. And I was like, what? And I saw you in your suit sort of walking through the hallway and you were like, oh, hi. I just, you know, had to stop by on the way to work. And and then you left and I said bye. And uh, then when I saw you that night at dinner, you said something like, you know, when I was in the school, I um, I happened to stop by the library and I had a conversation. And, um, you know, it turns out you can check out Gulliver's Travels. And it turns out, you know, it's okay if you check out any book you want to in the library. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and at that time, I just, I didn't recognize it about what you did. But, you know, now when I look back on it, I think of that as like, yeah, of course he did that, you know, because, uh, you know, you just always let me and defended me reading as much as I could, uh, whenever I could. So that's pretty cool, Dad. Uh, the truth is that I didn't remember it, but I am so glad that that's what I, I had a thought to do. And and I'll just say, uh, luckily, libraries are so much more willing to let children and their parents reach the level of agreement where they want to read as opposed to enforcing a, a preformed idea. So that was yeah. really, really that was fun to do it. Um, and uh, But I have a question for you about the library, uh, the okay. public library there. Um, tell us about that first job and how it almost went wrong for you. <laughs> You're talking about our, our hometown public library where I walked in and, and filled out an application. I think, how old was I, like 13 or 14 or something yeah. like that? Yeah, um, couldn't do that these days, but back then you could. Right, right. right. Yeah. And uh, I remember I, I filled out an application, and I think I had a, a short interview. This was to shelf books, obviously, and I, I think I came home and told you and mom that I did that. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I worked there, I remember, a couple afternoons a week, nothing too much, but yes, there was probably some sort of incident where maybe I didn't realize that shelving the books meant that I wasn't supposed to really sit around and do a lot of reading on my on the clock. But um, I imagine that's probably, you know, something that a lot of people who work in libraries like to do. But yes, I, I, I imagine I did more reading than I did shelving and organizing. Sorry. Got- sorry, library. <laughs> Yeah, got to make sure all the pages are in order before you put it back yeah. on the shelf, right? <laughs> so um, okay. I got one more one more question about the research that you did for the book. 
At okay. some point, Emily, there is a 24-hour relay on the track for supporting oh, yes. it. Where did you ever get that idea? <laughs> huh? 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 Okay. I wondered if you'd noticed that. Dad, I've tried to include that in so many other pieces of writing. I'm so glad I got it into print. He's referring to um, Becky's effort to help the town raise money for the resurfacing of their old track. Um, and they, she institutes a 24-hour relay with the kids on the track team and, and other uh, neighborhood friends. They kept the baton going around and then people donate and they raise enough money to eventually resurface the track. And of course I got that idea from you, dad. You <laughs> organized our town's 24-hour relay when I was, uh, I don't know, probably in sixth or seventh grade. Mm -hmm. We stayed out there all night. And so did you, and uh, we raised enough funds to turn from a cinder track to a, I don't know what that material was, rubberized, yeah. but um, obviously it made an impression on me because I, I got it in there in this book. So yeah, that's all you. Well, good. Now that something that I did is in print, I can I can finish up <laughs> worrying about that sort of thing, right? So, so, so what have we not talked about in your book that you think is interesting? Hmm. I'm curious about um, what you thought, if you thought there was any sort of emotional um, pain that came out through Becky's friends and, and work colleagues um, in the town, uh, you know, without giving away the ending, um, you know, obviously uh, the people that she loves and lives next to are the ones she's stealing from. Did that, did that kind of, uh, did that, hit you in any way? That was an intention I had. I always thought that, remember, I see her as a more attractive character than you do. And I think okay. people are going to have fun reading the book to try to decide what kind of a character they see in her. But I saw her as not thinking that she was taking money from individual people, but taking it from an organization. Mm -hmm. And when she did her good deeds, like um, the 24-hour relay, and then there was the whole planting of the flowers, um, that was her working as, to, as an individual with people to assuage uh, what she had done to the organization. So in her mind, I'm just guessing that that at least offset it, and she didn't see the big picture of how what she was doing was harming so many people because she could she could point to examples in her own time where she did something to rescue a certain event as opposed to the whole disaster that she caused the complete uh, community. Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad that comes through her back and forth. You know, she's on the one hand taking money from them and on the other hand really trying to plug the holes and help with her mm -hmm. own funds you know um and you're right that in her mind she uses that as a way to kind of excuse or rationalize what she's doing and mm -hmm. um but of course there are some you know there are going to be some emotional consequences for her and uh you know that was that was uh part of the kind of fun i had and really you know helping this kind of um uh, show how she's deeply affected at some point by what she does. Yeah, I think there are going to be some emotional consequences for the readers, too, because I thought the times of the most heightened tension in the book 
was when she was working double time and triple time to rescue a situation where she was trying to move money from one thing to another and uh, the, uh, her art collection was on balance, the municipal finance was on balance, and uh, um, and people's hearts are going to really raise and jump when they are when they're feeling the tension that she's feeling. And I love the way that you you pictured that and and really brought that to a point any number of times in the novel. That was really really extraordinarily well done. Oh, thanks, Dad. That was actually you know. Um, my great goal was to really put us inside the heart and mind of someone who is mm-hmm. panicked about getting caught and trying to get away with something. So I'm really glad. Thanks. I think we're probably about at the point where we want to finish. So any final thoughts from you? I'll just say that thanks to the library team at Harper Collins for letting us do this. Uh, this has really been fun and I've enjoyed it significantly and really, really happy to do it. Yeah, I want to say thanks to Library Love Fest. This is actually the first time I'm talking publicly about the talented Miss Farwell, and it just makes me so excited for this book to get out into the hands of librarians and patrons and and, uh, people. And I also got to thank you, Dad. I'm really uh, just very touched that you wanted to do this with me. And of course, hearing your, um, your thoughts on the book means the world. So thank you. Hey, I get to talk to my daughter, the novelist. What could be better? You guys, that was so wonderful. Such a, a great conversation. Unlike any conversation anyone else could have, you know. Um, and I have to say, I've only teared up on the podcast once before this. And this is the second time because the Aww. story about Gulliver's Travels, like, you know, Ellen, you said it, it wasn't really in the forefront of your mind. You were just doing what was right. But Emily, that just sounds like such a life-defining moment for you. And I, I don't know, it was just so sweet. And it made me it really heartfelt. So thank you for Aww. sharing that with us. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I think we'll we'll log off here. But I, thank you to everyone who listened. You can go download an e-galley right now on Edelweiss and NetGalley. So we will link to that and get reading, librarians, because this book is coming September 29th. And we are so excited for it. That's The Talented Miss Farwell by Emily Gray Tedrow. And we will see you next week. Thank you to both of you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it, Lainey. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.